by myself. Whoa. That's an intense way to start the day. <laughs> imagine, imagine the people who were sitting in are front you, of me. Are you recording this? <laughs> <laughs> On. Hi, Zan. Hi, Miffy. Good to see you. Welcome so, to Bang On. So, <laughs> <laughs> I don't think you've ever welcomed me to my own podcast. That's all right. Come on in. Gather around. It's good to be here. It is I your, said your... that because we, we, we wanted to remind people what we're here for, remember. We tr- tried that before we started and I mucked it up straight away. <laughs> Right, go. What are we here for? Well, this, I mean, yeah, if this is your first bang on and you've, or maybe you've listened for a few weeks and you're like, I still can't figure out what the point of this podcast is. Neither the, can we. The reason that we do, <laughs> but you stay with us though. We'll have fun while we figure it out. Uh, bang on is your weekly catch up of music, art, culture, life stuff. Yeah. And before we continue with this week's stuff of all varieties, I just want to, you know, acknowledge that last week, literally 15 minutes after we finished recording Bang On, as we do every Thursday, Leland Chin announced that she was going to be resigning from SBS. Taliban managed to strike in the very heart of this city, leaving many here wondering what will be hit next. Who is that handsome? And a footnote to that story. <laughs> a plan One of the, the greatest emergency. moments. Oh. <laughs> Caught out. And there were many great highlights as we realised that uh, Leland Chin, who'd been broadcasting for more than 30 years as the host of World News Australia, was going to be stepping down. There were many tributes paid, but that is the reason that we didn't talk about it last oh. week because it happened while, like, just after we recorded Bang On. Yeah. People were saying record another episode. Yeah, let's just talk about Leland Chin for ages. <laughs> Dedicated. Well, did you see the final broadcast? I did. It was and very moving. And I must say, given that she has filled our eyes with some fashion over the years oh my of extraordinary proportions, she ended on a note that just was, it was perfect. In this culture of war and waste, she was wearing a black plastic outfit of some description. I'm not entirely sure how. You couldn't really see because it was black, but it was plastic. There was, and was it PVC, was it PVC was involved? Yeah. It was see-through as well, PVC yeah. and some sort of see-through. It was a statement. I'm not sure what it was, but it was a statement, and it was it's just such the perfect outfit for her goodbye on SBS. She's been in our lounge rooms for... 30 years? More than 30 years, yeah. 30 it was cool years. seeing the early days of, of Leland as well and some really great recaps. The thing that I sort of took away from it all was because I, you know, all of us grew up with Leland and as a little kid watching her on screen, you know, she was a, an incredible role model to see. But for me, you know, a young white girl, you know, it's one thing, but I saw plenty of people, including Michelle Law, who is Ben Law's sister and also a playwright and mm. a writer, wonderful woman. And I saw her tweet afterwards that basically, Leland changed the way that she felt about, you know, Asian women's place in Australia because there were no Asian women, not one Asian woman on screen mm. except for Leland Chin. And I just thought, okay, from that perspective, yeah. that would have been a hugely impactful thing. Absolutely. So, and Adam Liao said the same thing. He's yeah. the, the guy who... Did he win MasterChef? I always forget. There's so many now. I can't remember if they won or they were just That's on it. Where but he's he was from, amazing. Yeah. yeah, he's a really, really um, talented fella. And he said he wrote an article as well, which I thought was really lovely. He said it's a grave disservice to define her contribution down to her ethnicity, but she was a trailblazer, the only regular Asian face on Australian TV. So good for such a long time, and. She never blended in as newsreaders are expected to no. either. And I love that. She was just sticking it to the man constantly. And yes, she ran yes, her, Leland, yes. Ran her own race, got out from behind the desk in the last few years and became this really irreverent 
not character, but you saw other sides of her personality that you never had before. And so I am very excited to see what happens next and where she's going to end up. I've heard some people saying she's going to be on I'm a Celebrity, Get Me Out of Here. And I will tune in for that. I will watch that. That's exciting. I'm excited. Leland and Warney. (laughs) (laughs) On that note... Go the next night. Where the Michael Bolton's about it. That's why I realised when I saw Celine Dion oh. on Saturday night. The same sort of vocal She's got effect. a mullet. I'm happy. She got a mullet. She is fashion these days, <laughs> as we know. She would rock a mullet. She would. She'd be if great. she chose to, I would support that. I have so much time for Celine. I have so much time for her as well, and I was incredibly excited and honoured to be in her presence last Saturday night when I went and saw Celine Dion for the first time ever in concert. She brought a bit of Vegas to Homebush in Sydney and it was an incredible show. She hasn't toured Australia for 10 years and I reckon there would have been people in that arena that hadn't seen a live show for 10 years. They were pumped. Can I set the scene for you? Set it. She had on the bill for her support act a woman by the name of Veronique Dicard and I was like, okay, sounds like a French... Fellow French-Canadian. French-Canadian singer-songwriter, helping out a mate, great, awesome. Well, obviously I'm going to go along and check it out. Um, also, it was a very early show, so Celine was on 8.15. That's great. I'm happy with these early starts. <laughs> My ultimate gig. Yeah. Support act at 7.30. Celine at 8.15. Sweet. And home by 10. That's home fabulous. by 10. <laughs> That's great. But she, so, so Veronica comes out and she sings a song. I'm like, hang on a minute. I know that song. And it becomes clear very quickly that she's actually a professional impersonator. And she does absolutely perfectly the voices of Britney Spears, Cher, Whitney Houston. Oh, my goodness. Christina Aguilera, Madonna and Adele. And in between, because she's a French-Canadian and they are a certain breed of performer, see Celine Dion and Cirque du Soleil. There's mm. a dagginess that goes on. Yeah. But a self-aware dagginess, I think. Anyway, there's like she's doing daggy stand-up between and kind of just like letting you know what she's about to do. Oh. And she's so good that as she sort of builds to this story of like what song she's about to sing – the audience just loses their shit when she starts singing the first note because it is perfect. Oh, my goodness. It is like it's like Adele is in the room with us, but then it's only a minute and a half of the song and she's on to the next one. It was oh. a medley of all your favourite female singers. Oh, what a pump up for the show for Celine. It was amazing. She didn't sing any Celine because you can't do that. No. But Celine was incredible. You, again, are really surprised by how many songs she has. It's just like, oh, this song. I know this song. It's like the songs that you grew up with on you know, soft rock radio, Mm. like that's pretty much it. But one of the things, aside from just the incredible vocal talent of Celine Dion and the costume changes, the wonderful band, one of the things that I really took away from it was that she gives credit where it's due. And I think we've talked about this before, about this dismissal of pop artists and artists who co-write with others. And this, on the flip side, I guess this, you know, this, undermining of people who don't write their own songs or there's a kind of sense of it's, you know, you're not a valid artist if you're not doing it all, if you're not playing the guitar or the piano or whatever instrument perfectly. you're not the hero of everything. Yeah, and writing the song. And P.S., can I just say, all your favourite songwriters, including Paul Kelly, they co-write. You know, he writes plenty of his own songs, but he does co-writes as well. Like It It can be done. It's very standard. And I think that whenever she sang a song, she would 
give a big spiel and just talk about the person that had wrote it. And sometimes it was another famous singer. And she said, this person gave this song to me. And then she explained how she made it her own. And I loved that because I think it's incredible if you have the gift of a voice like hers or anyone who's got an incredible voice to then expect that they do everything else is kind of insane. Yeah, You don't apply that same sort of expectation to an opera singer who interprets a famous opera. You don't critique their art just because they're singing Mozart. Exactly. You don't critique negatively, I should say. Exactly. Um, You know, a violinist who's playing a famous symphony, you don't say, oh, well, you didn't write it. Yeah. You know, it's about the interpretation. That's a bullshit argument these days, isn't it? I'm just sick of it. And I also just think that also, again, I go back to the point of, look, all those songs that you love and you think are from authentic artists, half of them are written by three to six people as well. Like there's nothing wrong with that. And and think about some of the greats, like Whitney Houston, you mentioned her, I Will Always Love You. What a song that she made her own. What yes. an incredibly powerful song that belongs to her now. Yep. You, you don't even think twice and yet that was written by Dolly Parton. Yep. And who is magical and, and does an amazing version herself, her own version. But it, it can be done and I just – that old argument is so tired, isn't it? And, yep. it? and it implies that one man can write everything and yep. therefore it is great. And it's like, well, no. Not really. She owned it and she, you know, she gave credit to her band, to the writers, to everyone. She was so grateful. She was just so charming, you know. She's very eccentric and the between song banter was worth the price of the ticket alone. But then, I mean, if it wasn't enough to have Veronique and Celine, I thought, okay, great show, amazing show, it's all done. My heart will go on, finished, fantastic, comes out, says a lovely thing, 10 years, it's been a long wait, perfect show. I leave the arena I'm walking out and this arena in Homebush, which is sort of Western Sydney, big where all the Olympic arenas are, is like an airport terminal. There Mm. is no vibe there. Fluorescent globes, escalators, merch stands, just very bland. Mm. There's a DJ set up. There's a roped off area. Oh, VIP. (laughs) (laughs) VIP near the Dunnies. This is great. It was Anyone was allowed in. I think it was more for thoroughfare. Mm. There's a dance party going on in the foyer of this arena. And it is like the best wedding 21st, 60th you've ever been to. We're talking all the 80s hits. Great. We're talking B-52's Love Shack. Oh. And then all of a sudden, and I have hit the dance floor by this stage, I'm dancing with a bunch of middle-aged women and I could not be happier. Handbags everywhere, I would imagine. Handbags everywhere. On the floor. (laughs) From B-52's Love Shack into the nut bush. And all of a sudden, I'm doing the nut bush in the foyer of this arena with all the lights on. I was laughing so much I was crying. That's amazing. <laughs> so good. Celine Dion crowds know how to party. <laughs> I love that there was a DJ on That's after. Amazing. It's like, you've had a great time, but you know what? We're going to make sure that if this is your last gig for 10 years, you're going home with a smile <laughs> on your face. <laughs> That's the sound of Stella Donnelly there, Boys Will Be Boys, who has been announced as on the bill for a festival that has made history in the last week with their lineup announcement. And it is the Airwaves Festival. 50% of the lineup on the bill is women and those who identify as non binary. Amazing. It's been done. It's happened. Yeah, and these guys, there was, uh, you might have heard that there was this kind of. Uh, a global initiative called Key Change where about 109 festivals around the world signed up and said we're going to reach parity by 
um, a certain year. But Iceland Airwaves have done it way before anybody else and they've done it first. The reason this is there is obviously something we've talked about in terms of that gender inequality in, in festival lineups. And it's interesting to note that in this key change initiative that none of the big festivals like Roskilde, Glastonbury, all that have actually signed up for it. And I will say this, the um, the guy who runs the head of operations at Iceland Airwaves said that the one of the ways they could do this is because the festival is a little bit like South by Southwest. Yeah. They sort of focus it on newer artists and that he sort of acknowledged that large festivals like Glastonbury um, and probably like Splendour in the Grass and stuff like that here in Australia, they kind of need established star names. And then when you're looking in that pool, there are fewer women to choose mm. from. But still, it was an amazing achievement and... I think interesting to look at that in the, the same week that announcement as the Bluesfest first lineup announcement came through just a couple of days ago, the 30th birthday of this iconic festival, one of the longest running festivals mm. in Australia. And they have announced their first lineup, which is really dominated by men. And it's not like the festival hasn't got a history of booking women. It just seems really odd that this one, a 30 year celebration of the festival's history, delving into some of their favourite acts. For me, it was more indicative of the music industry as a whole in the past 30 years. Of course, there would be more men and it's just not okay anymore, I hate to say. Yeah, when you're moving forward and you're thinking not only again, this is a festival that's going to run in 2019. So you're Mm. talking about uh, are things getting better and this is a festival where you're forecasting in the next eight months this is going to be landing. I think, you know... I don't run festivals, but it just surely somebody would have seen that line up and gone, hang on a minute, in the current climate, maybe we should hold off if we've got some names coming through just a little bit longer. It just seemed a bit odd. Bluesfest is one of those interesting they're ones. Because they're fairly astute yeah, yeah, to yeah. that sort of thing. They've had loads of women on the bill. Totally. I mean, Lauren Hill headlined last mm. year for Bluesfest and she was amazing. The Casey Chambers is in this list. There's, you know, Julia Zamira at the front of Rockwears. I think there's one other band in that list of 30. But that, and Bluesfest is unique in that they have multiple lineups. It's not like other festivals where there's a big main lineup and then maybe there's a couple of small bands. Like mm. Bluesfest really have, you know, four or five lineup announcements in the lead up to the festival and they'll have more than 100 acts playing. So this is only really a quarter to a third of the acts. But I agree with you. If you're making a statement, what does that say if you're like, this is our 30th year, this is our big first lineup announcement, where are the women? And mm. Jen Cloer called it out on she, Twitter. She wrote a really great um, piece on Instagram as well. Yeah. I think I saw it. And she said it's really important that when you have you schedule a first announcement you need to have more women on it because otherwise it just still reinforces that you believe that women don't sell tickets yeah first and foremost and that it also says that women are are obviously getting paid much less because they're not the headliners and also that 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 those women on the bill will get less exposure because they were never in the first announcement anyway so I think those are issues that are very real for women who perform in music particularly in Australia at the moment. I think as well if you're going to look at the history of Blues Fest and say this is a celebration of the 30 years that was, then celebrate the frickin' trailblazing women who were there, the women who did stick their neck out and fight against the odds and really come up against a lot more discrimination than women do today, still do today, but, if you know, 10, 20 years mm. ago, even harder, those women need to be celebrated, should be celebrated. It's logical to celebrate them uh, in this first lineup. So I will be watching the uh, multiple lineups that roll out very closely and hoping for the best. But this sort of stuff, if it doesn't get called out, it won't change. And these are steps towards progress, I think. 
as well. When things well, as are soon rough. as this happens, it will mean that they won't do this again. It'll be like Channel Ten last week when we talked about the comedy, the pilot week. And now, we, and now we have a TV show on Channel Ten. I mean, that was a great turnaround, don't yes. you reckon, Miff? Yes, thanks exactly. to Channel Ten for getting yeah. in touch. Thank oh, the, you. Oh, see, we said it now. It's, hap- it's got to happen, doesn't it? <laughs> <laughs> but now that these these moments are happening, and we can get angry about them, but we can also go, these are happening for a reason, and this is our way to move forward from here on in. They'll never do this again. They'll be very aware of the next lot of lineups that they put together. And that's a step. As much as it's been negative, it is a step. I'm loving the music today. Oh, I'm loving the music, Miff. God, I sound a middle aged. Oh, I'm loving these tunes. What's this? What gig did you Who's go this? to on the weekend, Sam? Where did you go? I just want to say that I saw Kendrick, Kendrick Lamar and yeah, Celine Dion in the same location in one week. <laughs> I've got depth, Miff. You've got depth. <laughs> I've got range. Yeah, range, range. I like that. I like that. Um, Jenny from the block, J-Lo, we love her. And I just got, was that the clip she did with Ben Affleck in the car? Was that it? Yeah, that was not hot. <laughs> um, just go and look that one up. That was when they were really hot right now and then it just was over and then it would be embarrassing, wouldn't it? They didn't look like they were having sex when you looked at that video. It didn't look hot at all. No, no chemistry. No, no magic. But there was magic on her feet this week. Uh, I have a fashion update. Oh. Fashion. Um, Breaking news. Uh, this one sent my Twitter, Instagram, everything into overdrive. and I love that people just think of you now. It's like so a, red, a red alert straight to me. Straight to me. Keep them coming because <laughs> I, it, it feels like public service announcements <laughs> now and I need to see these as soon as they happen. And I got lots this week, but this one came through en masse and it was J-Lo's boots for her 49th birthday. She went out for lunch looking fabulous in an oversized white shirt a la... Um, pretty Woman? No. Oh, a little bit Pretty Woman, but I'm thinking more Risky Business. Oh, Tom yeah. Tom Cruise, mm. that style look. Mm. That was good. But on the bottom, because she had no pants on. No, why would you? Why do you wear pants to lunch? Don't um, need to. I, you know. It's fashion. Exactly, it's fashion. Um... But she wore her pants on her feet <laughs> and her boots. They were a pair of Versace denim. That's the key word in this yes! right now because whenever there's fashion, there's inevitably denim. Um, denim boots with a pointy heel, very hot right now, thin heel. Um, but the denim boots were sort of slouchy over the knee. Uh, so they're already looking a little bit like um, a dad jean, they're a baggy a boy, they're dad a boy, jean. They're a boyfriend jean on the leg. Yeah, a little bit boyfriend jean on the leg. But to top off this beautiful wedding cake of fashion, mm. the top of the, the boot over the knee was belted like a jean. <laughs> around each thigh. Around each thigh with a black belt <laughs> and a pocket on each side. Oh, my just God, with, I didn't see the pocket. Just for some coins and a little like almost, I think it was a, some sort of police badge or perhaps a Venetian door knocker. Um <laughs> I can't quite work out which. You know those lion door knockers yeah. that you see in Venice a yeah. lot? They're very yes. Italian. Um, Versace. Oh, my God. So Versace. Versace. House of Versace. Uh, and those those shoes, um, I think we both agree. Would we'll buy. Wear. Would buy, yep. We'll Look, I saw, this is the first fashion update where mm. I've not been horrified and I've actually thought, yeah, I'd wear those. They're very nice. Yeah, they're good. Very they nice. Look terrible on me. <laughs> Oh, but you have to wear them with the shirt. It's good fashion. Good fashion. Good fashion. And do your hair talk. Check my nails. Baby, how you feeling? It's time to bang on and I've got something great 
What are you banging on about? For you today, mm-hmm. you're going to love it. It's a new TV series. It's on Stan, one of those streaming services, and it's called Claws. Claws. Claws, because it's it's set down south in Florida, and it is a, a drama that people have described as Breaking Bad meets Still Magnolias. Oh my god! And that was Lizzo there. She's I on love the soundtrack. Lizzo. The soundtrack is awesome. Lizzo also great body positivity woman. Yeah. Loves getting it about and being proud of herself. And this whole show is like that. The diversity of the cast is amazing. Uh, the nail salon business that happens is just it. You know, it touches your heart. But it's also about organised crime, so it's got a really dark side. It's it's trashy, but it's really good trashy. Uh, executive producer is Rashida Jones, ah. um, who you remember from Parks and Recreation. She's, Anne. Yeah, 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 she's divine. She's the best friend, Anne, and she's also Quincy Jones's daughter. Oh, yeah, she is too. Mm. I'd forgotten about that. Good mm. fact. Anyway. That's um, what I'm here for, trivia. Yeah, love it. <laughs> but this is the plot line. Five manicurists enter the traditionally male world of organised crime where they begin laundering money for a neighbouring pain clinic. <laughs> It's really good. and But the casting is really diverse. You see faces and bodies that I have not seen on Australian television ever. America is so much more forward-thinking when it comes to that stuff. Yeah. And it's a bit sexy as well. Uh, it's, But it's got a darker side. It explores that whole disenfranchised working class mm. in America and how they need to get by. So it's not all light and fluffy, but it's deeply soapy and trashy at the same time and just get sucked in, do a binge and you're in. One season? Two now, currently um, updating by the week because I'm at that point. Oh, my God, you really have binged. Yeah, I really watched the whole lot. That's a good sign though. Um, And then the third one has just been signed up, so it's really good. And it's not something that people talk about here in Australia. I think it probably hasn't really resonated as much. Yeah, yeah. Because, you know, it's just... It's not really like anything else on Netflix or Stan or anything. It's And it's great. Claws. I'm down. Get on it. So good. I'm going to bring the tone down now. And what are you – oh, no, you're not. What are you banging on about? Well, it's, it's like the opposite of what you're talking about. But it is – I'm also obsessed with it and I actually – do you remember when I was banging on about Dirty John, the podcast Dirty John? Yes. And that was a podcast that like I would – usually I listen on my commute like most people to and from work while I'm at the gym or whatever – that podcast I was so compelled by that I was just sitting down and listening to it at home, like putting it through the speakers and sitting down listening to it like old-timey radio. And this new podcast that I've just finished this morning is the same deal. It's called Caliphate. It comes from the New York Times and it's by a journalist by the name of Rukmini Kalamachi. She's the Times foreign correspondent. She's the resident terrorism expert and fans of The Daily, which is another great podcast I've banged on about, um, might have heard her before pop up on that. It's a new 10-part series basically looking at uh, her reporting on the Islamic State and the fall of Mosul. And she is embedded deeply into this scene. She's been kind of trying to get into various chat rooms, Tumblr conversations, Telegram messages, basically all the ways that different ISIS operatives communicate with each other and embedding a way in just to see how they talk to each other, but also gaining the trust and finding ways as a journalist to talk to actual ISIS fighters. How does ISIS prepare you to kill people? Is there anything? Uh, they, we had dolls. dolls. Yeah, we had dolls to practice on. We had also have cutouts of ballistics gels. It would feel a lot like human. And uh, inside the ballistic gels, they'd have sacks where major organs would be. 
and then you could just slice, practice, behead, stab, and you know, just practice. So it kind of felt like what a medical student would do. And you had to have to know how to use a knife on a human. So that's an interview that she has with a Canadian guy who has Pakistani heritage, basically uh, just is a recruit, like goes over and fights, and she has an interview with him, and that's where it sort of starts. But it kind of the way that it's organised is it begins with him and then it's it's ten chapters but kind of three different stories. So uh, she starts with him and then she goes into a just liberated Mosul. Uh, and we remember that when that came, mm. you know, that story came, it was huge. And then she looks. The final bit is her looking at the uh, Islamic State's sexual enslavement of young Yazidi girls who are not Muslim. And there's a whole story about basically these girls being stolen and sold at oh. the age of twelve, thirteen. I don't even want to go into the details of it because this is a podcast that if you choose to listen to it, you'll hear it. But I don't want to, you know, trigger warning, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. I, even just talking about it now, I feel like crying. I just I listened to it this morning, and it is so incredibly compelling. But also from a different, aside from the amazing story, and just how much she's in it, and it gives you a great sense of this. I don't know. ISIS is kind of like a ghost. We don't know, understand mm. what the structure is, where the money comes from, how it works, and she gets in there and tries to, I guess, fill in the blanks of how they came about, how they've grown, where they're growing and how they recruit people. But on the other side of it, similarly to like great films like The Post or Spotlight, where these are stories about the hard yards of journalism, you just see how much work she does Mm. to get to the story, to cross-check the facts of the story, to make sure that she's giving all these people equal time, but then whatever they say, she's got to verify it. And just the amount of time, like I've got such respect for journalism and whenever someone talks about fake news and dismisses someone's stories, it's like, no, this person has worked with their sources. They've worked hard to make sure that whatever they're printing is as true as they can find it to be true Mm. and you really see the architecture of how she gets to that as a great journalist. So it's an amazing podcast. Uh, It's 10 parts, which for anybody who feels a bit time poor, it's nice to have a kind of like these are 10 episodes. It is quite intense um, and there is, you know, a lot of violent um, discussions. Yeah, so it's uh, on the list. It's Far out. I told you I was going to flip it, but I just I, I wanted out. to talk to you about it. Caliphate. It's an yep. amazing podcast. So yeah, that's my bang on. If you want more Miff and Zan and you love uh, Bang On, please show a mate. I know there's heaps of people who have contacted us and said, you're the first podcast I ever listened to and I had to ask my friend to show me how. So, which I, you know, I love that we're your... um, Gateway. Yeah, we've popped your cherry basically. Mm. So if you want to show someone who you think would like Bang On, subscribe for them on their phone. Basically just hijack their personal device and press subscribe. It's free. We're not like a U2 album that you don't want on your phone. I'm sure that we'll be welcome. (laughs) We're happy Um, to become a U2 album that you don't (laughs) want on your phone though. That's what we'll be singing next week. But, yeah, any um, if you can spread the word about Bang On, uh, review us in iTunes. That that helps uh, people find us and we um, we love our Bang fam. Yeah, we need to freshen up as well because we haven't, you know, like we've been around for a while. A few new reviews. It'd be nice, thanks. <laughs> Need a little bang on douche. A little oh, review no! douche. <laughs> Get out! Bang. 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 Bang on. I really love the word douche. Use it whenever Not I can. Not used in a real context, though. <laughs> words, words you can use. What are you going to use in a sentence today, Zan? Douche. Douche. 
Double J.